This week on The 624, we talk about psychopaths, we talk about racism, and we talk about the apologetics conference being put on by Charlie Campbell. Let's get started. Welcome to The 624, the weekly podcast of Central Texas Creation Ministries, taking a stand on God's Word and trusting it from the very first verse. Join us as we look at creation and the Bible to understand the world around us. Welcome to the 624. My name is Dave Napier. I am the host of the podcast, creator of the Central Texas Creation Ministries and the Central Texas Creation Conference. And uh, I want to welcome you. I'm glad that you're hanging out with me today on the 624, where even the name tells you that God created in six 24-hour days. Uh, now, of course, this is a podcast that has no PhD scientists. This isn't all about the experiments and the analysis of, of guys who sit in lab coats. This is real people talking about creation and their creator, talking about the world around them and how we can understand it looking at the Bible. So I hope you guys had a good weekend. Of course, you know I did. I'd always have a good weekend. Uh, this weekend, though, was awesome because I got to go out do a little uh, practice target shooting with the old pistols there. Uh, went out with a group uh, from my church. And uh, the cool part was we went to somebody's private land who gave us an invitation, had a great time. We got to shoot some steel, got to pull a Hickok 45. Uh, if you guys know who Kick, Hick, oh, excuse me, if you guys know who Hickok 45 is, he is a gun reviewer and he has his own range. And he's this older gentleman, has this grandfather-like quality about him, but he just has so much fun out there on the range. And he loves shooting uh, two-liter bottles of, of Coke. And so, and it is amazing because you never know what they're going to do. They react differently every time. And so we had the fun to go out and do that. I did some slow-mo video of that, and uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Just hanging out, fellowshipping, and shooting, shooting guns. And of course, uh, afterwards we went to eat. We always go out to eat afterwards because, gosh, what would an event be without going out to eat somewhere? We were going to go to this Texan cafe, uh, but the guy who owns the land, I won't tell you his name in case I didn't ask if he cared if I said his name. So uh, the guy who owns the land, he actually had suggested this place called Mario's, which was right next to where we were going to go. And they wound up taking so long at this other place, we decided to go to Mario's. And I got to tell you, if you're in the Hutto area, this is an interesting place. It looks like a little Mexican food restaurant. It's called Mario's Mexican Restaurant. There's a reason it looks like and sounds like a little Mexican restaurant. And, of course, anytime you go into a Mexican restaurant like this family-owned style, you know that there's a chance this is going to be absolutely amazing food. And at the same time, you also know that you get a 50-50 shot of it being really bad. But I tell you what, we had people, the menu is a, has a wide variety of stuff. We had people get enchiladas, chicken fried steak, and I was well, I was afraid that I was going to be called the fool because I got the Texas-style barbecue, the brisket and ribs, uh, because I'm on the keto and I don't do the carbs and all that good stuff. But uh, So I got brisket and ribs, and I'm thinking, you know, this is probably a huge mistake. I am probably going to regret this, and they're going to make fun of me relentlessly. I don't know if you know the group I hang out with, but they will mock me for the rest of my life on some stuff, okay? But uh, they're very sweet, though. So we get this food, and I find out, I, I'm asking the people with the enchiladas, you know, hey, how are the enchiladas? They're like, wow, these are really good, actually. I'm very impressed with them. 
And then the next thing I know, I'm hearing the people with the chicken fried steaks say, this is one of the best chicken fried steaks I've ever had. Now, I don't know. I didn't taste it. But then I'm starting to think about it. You know, I'm eating the ribs and stuff. I'm thinking, you know, I've had actual barbecue from actual barbecue places that wasn't as good as this. It was actually pretty good. Now, I'm not saying it's up there with Terry Black's or, you know, Franklin's or something like that. But, I mean, this is good barbecue. It's not bad at all. And so I started thinking about it. Like, man, this is crazy that this little Mexican food restaurant has great chicken fried steak, has great Texas barbecue. And uh, we go up to the counter to pay. And this gentleman is sitting there with a laptop. And he asked us if everything was okay. I said, hey, are you Mario? He goes, yeah, I am. So I have a conversation with Mario. And it turns out he's going to get rid of the whole Mexican restaurant name on it because he really does do more. Uh, he's about to start doing meatloaf and all kinds of stuff. Uh, really a cool experience to meet Mario and, and some great food. You guys, if you're ever down in the Hutto area, be sure and check out Mario's restaurant. Good food and a great guy, too, who's very nice. But uh, anyway, I think I'm, I got sidetracked there. But I, I had a great weekend, really enjoyed it. I hope you did, too. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about psychopaths. Now, when I say psychopath, I'm about to, about to talk about an article that I read. It was on Big Think. And of course, I, I read Big Think because a lot of times they have uh, evolutionary stuff on it. And of course, I'll put the link in the, in the description and uh, on my website so you can check it out. But the big picture of why we're having this article written is that they're asking questions, trying to make sense of the world around us based on evolutionary thinking. So that's that's a big picture of why we're seeing a lot of articles lately about why things are true based on evolution. Because when we look at the world around us, we realize, uh, based on evolution, not all this stuff makes sense. And so they're having to spend millions of dollars, lots of hours trying to figure out why these things happen if evolution is true. The truth is, when you start with the wrong assumptions you're going to wind up with the wrong conclusions. And that's what this article does. And I want to talk about it for just a second because it really is a question that we don't need to ask. We didn't need to spend money and time on this per se, uh, but they did. The article goes on, uh, the premise of the article says, it's tempting to think of psychopathy, which I hope I'm saying that right. If I'm not, you can comment below. Uh, it's tempting to think of psychopathy as a kind of adherent mental condition but several studies suggest that it may be a may be a good evolutionary strategy. Uh, I don't like using those words. I hate it when they say things like that. It drives me crazy. We'll talk about it in a minute, though. I'm going to try not to go off on that. I'm going to try and just keep going. It says, A study compared the genetic profiles of psychopaths with individuals who were more likely to have children younger and more frequently and found significant overlap. It says, this suggests that the qualities that bring about psychopathy are also qualities that encourage more frequent reproduction, making psychopathy an advantageous strategy. Oh, there they go again. I hate that. But anyway, the article is full of problems. The first problem is, it's not a strategy. There is no evolutionary strategy, okay? Uh, it, even it even says that in the article. It contradicts itself multiple times. Because it continues to talk about how it's an advantageous evolutionary strategy 
And yet at the same time, in one of the paragraphs, it says, I quote, Evolution doesn't have a perspective or an opinion on things. It's a neutral process that selects what works. What these studies show is that at least when it comes to human evolution, psychopathy is more of a feature than a bug. So they're saying this because they're trying to convince themselves that that's why uh, psychopaths still survive in society today. Because they're asking the question, why do psychopaths exist? If they're bad, it's a, a, a mutation in the brain, it's a mental condition. Why is it still around if natural selection should have weeded it out a long time ago? And that's the problem with the evolutionary theory. It doesn't actually answer some of these questions. Now, the second problem is this. Uh, psychopaths only make up 1% of the population. They, they want to convince you that this is an advantageous evolutionary strategy. And yet, at the, same at the same time, they only make up 1% of the population. How can it be this advantageous strategy if there's only 1%? Okay, it's, now one of the reasons is, is because psychopaths only flourish in societies where there are people to take advantage of. Okay, uh, it's just, I re, I'll never forget this. When I was taking driver's ed, this really does uh, pertain. Uh, I was taking driver's ed a long, long time ago. Okay, uh, and the guy said, if you had two highways, one where all the rules were in place and one where there were no rules. He said most people would drive on the highway with the rules. He said because the reason they get away with what they do is because everybody else is following the rules. And it's true. You think about it. A lot of the people that you see out on the highway that are kind of jerks are able to get away with what they do because other people are following the rules so they can take advantage of that. Weave in and out, speed up, slow down, cut people off because they know they're going to throw on their brakes. They know that they're going to follow the rules. Uh, we get wrecks and we get shootouts when people don't follow the rules uh, and the other person doesn't follow the rules. They clash. The same thing is true here. When we talk about psychopaths, they exist or they flourish only when there are people that they can take advantage of, people who are following the societal rules. That's where they thrive. If you put them in a room full of other psychopaths, they wouldn't do as well, okay? So the truth is, it's only 1% of the population. It's not some advantageous strategy. And not only that, they tend to die and hurt themselves younger. It actually says in the article that these people, because of the traits that they have, they tend to die off younger than other people. Because they don't have inhibitions, they don't have, they're very um, uh, impulsive. And so they wind up dying off and hurting themselves much younger. So, again, not a good strategy, not a good evolutionary strategy. And of course, the third thing that I have to point out is this if you have two groups that tend to have children younger and more frequently, one is not psychopathic and one is. It's not particularly the psychopathic quality, quality that is causing you to have more children younger and more frequently. There's other traits that both these groups have that are common and it has nothing to do with the psychopathic quality. So again, this strategy has, is horrible. This is horrible to say that, oh, this is an advantageous strategy. So ultimately, what does this actually answer? Does it actually answer the question, did we evolve uh, to have psychopaths? 
so number one, the question is vague and kind of pointless. You know, when you say, did we evolve, do you mean uh, making humankind better or just randomly getting them and they continue to propagate them? So there's some clarification there that we need. But the study is trying to answer why that bad mental condition would continue when evolution should have weeded it out long ago. The truth is that the biblical worldview makes more sense of it. Because yes, we know we lived in a cursed world, in a fallen world. We know that there's going to be mutations, that man's heart is wicked, that we are deceitful, that we are not good people. And so we understand that there are going to be people like this. There are going to be mental conditions like this. But we value human life. And so we are not going to just go in and kill everybody off. We value human life because there's going to be a spectrum of psychopathy, okay? So there's going to be people who are very low on the scale, people who are very high on the scale. And as long as you're not going out killing people and destroying people's lives, we're going to value you and we are going to encourage you. That makes sense as to why this gene still survives. Not to mention the fact that it would be very hard to track that gene because you're going to have dormant genes and recessive genes and, uh, you know, dominant genes and things like this. And so it would be very hard to track it and try to get rid of it. But we love people. We've, we, ha- we believe in Imago Dei, right? Uh, made in the image of God. We value human life. And so that makes sense of psychopaths. Again, evolutionary thinking does not make sense of everything in the world around us. And when it doesn't, they have to go off and spend millions of dollars and hours and hours and hours trying to figure out how to come up with an answer, how to spin it so that they can tell people, oh no, evolution does explain this when it actually doesn't. All right, well today on the 624, we are talking about Where did the races come from? We started this two-part series last week. Uh, As you remember, we established that it wasn't so much the question, where did the races come from? The real question or the right question is, are there races? Biologically, we found that there was no basis for saying there are biological races. There are no races. Biblically, we found that the Bible's been saying for a few thousand years that there are no races because we all come from Adam. If we all come from Adam, there's no way we can have different biological races. Now we said, well, if that's true, then where do we get these people groups? We talked about them as people groups. Where did we get these people groups from? Because there's there's really three different things we need to look at if we're going to explain... Um, where we get these people groups from based on the Bible. We're going to have to explain how we got different languages, okay? Because there are very different languages. We have thousands of languages. There's very different languages. Uh, we have to understand the gaps in technology and the isolation of the of the people groups. So where did they come from? Why are some really advanced? Why are some still shooting bows and arrows and wearing loincloths? Where's that gap of technology coming from? And then third, the final thing is like the skin color. Our skin color are the features that make us different. We need to understand that. So all three of those things are explained in an event in the Bible called the Tower of Babel. Now, I'm sure most of you guys knew that that's where I was going with this. Uh, If you didn't, then no worries. We're going to read about it. We're going to talk about it. 
explain why the Tower of Babel is the best explanation of all three of these things. Now, the Tower of Babel is in Genesis 11. Of course, you can pop open an app. You can open up your Bible. You can read along if you'd like to. Of course, you know I go through the NKJV, the New King James Version. Other than that, if you don't want to open it up, you can always check on it later because I, you know that I like to tell you, you always need to check me. Make sure that I'm saying the right things. Make sure that I'm not lying. Uh, I will never purposely lie to you or purposely tell you something that's not right, but I do make mistakes just like everybody else. Uh, so Genesis chapter 11 is verses 1 through 9 that I'm going to read. So verse 1 says this, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of man had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad. From there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. And so this is the Tower of Babel. When you look at this, you have to understand that uh, this is the population probably not too much longer than a hundred years after Noah, after Noah's flood, or the global flood that Noah survived. So Noah's family was repopulating the earth. So when they come off the ark, God says, hey, repopulate the earth, spread out, uh, you know, repopulate the earth, have children, all this kind of stuff. And so they're out there, they're repopulating the earth, they're traveling across the country or across land, and they find this place and they're like, wow. Like, you know, you go on Facebook and people are posting these pictures like most of them are doctored up with, you know, Photoshop and stuff. But you look at it and you're thinking, wow, I want to live right there. That's exactly where I want to live. I'm moving today. Well, you know, that's probably what they found. But in real life, they found this place that they thought was beautiful. That they said, you know what, as we're thinking about it, this is a great place because we've got places for crops. We've got places to build houses. We've got resources that we could use. This is a perfect spot. Why are we going to move from this spot? And the other part of that is is that they want to build something that will outlast them. It says there in the Word that they want to build something that will make a name for themselves, that will outlast their lives. And we tend to get that feeling. You know, we, we even today get that feeling, especially... I think it's especially guys. At some point in their lives, they start to realize, you know, what have I actually done with my life? Am I going to do something that will outlast me, right? However, we need to do what the Lord tells us to do. And that's exactly what was happening here in Babel. You think about it, you had multiple generations traveling, you know, and there was probably some some of the younger kids that were like, oh yeah, Uncle Noah, okay, you built a big ship, right? Okay, I know, it was hard, it was a terrible time. You probably walked uphill both ways in the snow to the ark to get there, you know, that sort of thing. And then there's probably some that, 
hey, my great my grandfather is Shem or or somebody like that, and so I, I believe this. But then life happens, and you get to a place, and you're like, wait a second, why does it even make sense for us to spread out like this? If we spread out, we're gonna be little bitty villages, nothing. We'll we'll be nothing. We'll be we'll be sitting out there by ourselves. Why are we going to do that when we can stay here and build a huge city, be all together? We could do something that we could make a name for ourselves. We could build a city that people will be talking about forever. And incidentally, it did work, technically. Uh, we've been talking about it for a long time. But this is the problem, is that we, we wind up trying to decide that we know what's better. That, yeah, that's good that God said that, but this is what we really want, and this is what we do. So God has a choice, you know. If you've ever had kids, like you know, kids, multiple kids, so they've got brothers and sisters, or if you've ever taught, and like there's these two best friends that are constantly talking, and you're like trying to tell them to quit talking and things like this. Um, you can separate them, but a lot of times, just when you talk, say, hey, don't talk or do something like that or separate them just a little bit, a lot of times they find ways to still communicate. They still find ways to do what they're not supposed to be doing. So I feel like God is doing what he has to do by confusing the languages, because that's the first thing we talked about is that we have to explain the confusion of languages. So when we talk about the confusion of languages, we need to make sure that we understand uh, one thing, and that is there are thousands of languages. Now, that doesn't seem like a good thing for me to bring up when I'm trying to convince you that the Bible is explaining things correctly, but there's a reason I'm bringing it up. We have thousands of languages, and at first look, um, you could say, well, that doesn't seem like a good argument because there wasn't that many families that were spread out. You can go to chapter 10 of Genesis. It tells you there's a little under uh, 100 people, or excuse me, 100 families that, were, that would have been spread out from Babel. Now, when you look at how many languages there are, if there's a little under 100 families, and yet there's thousands of languages, there's a huge disconnect. One of the things that happens when we look at the Bible and then we look at real life is that we tend to look at real life uh, just on the surface. And sometimes on the surface, we go, yeah, that doesn't really line up with the Bible. But when we study real life just a little bit more, we wind up finding out that it actually does line up with the Bible. And that's exactly what's happened with languages. Yes, we have thousands of languages, but those languages break down into very few families. So you can look at all kinds of language families, including English. English is part of a language family. It comes from Latin. And there's multiple other languages that come back to Latin. And so there are very few language families compared to the thousands of languages that there are. Now, here's the question. If there's just under 100 families that would have been spread out from Babel, how many language families do we actually have? Would it be impressive if it broke down from thousands to 1,000? That would be impressive, but it wouldn't be really close. What if it was to 300 language families? 
That would be pretty impressive. We'd be getting there. The truth is that we haven't even finished you know, organizing all the languages, uh, especially in Africa. From my understanding, the last time I, I was reading on this, there are still a lot of languages in Africa that they believe are derivatives of or um, came from other languages. So they would be added into one of these language families. And so it's going to shrink down even more. And so we have to be very careful when we're, when we're looking at this because the language families that we find are less than 200. The last time I saw a county was 147. We are coming very close to the number of families in Genesis 10 that could have been spread out from Babel. And so when we say that God confused the languages of these people, it's starting to line up with what we actually see in real life. And the truth is, real life is starting to line up or to agree with the Bible. And so uh, confusing the languages is something that the Tower of Babel actually speaks to. Now, the other thing that we talked about that we have to uh, understand or we have to explain is the gaps in technology or the isolation. Think of it this way. When we talk about societal differences or we talk about gaps in technologies, again, when we look at things at the surface, they may not seem to line up. But when we dig down a little deeper, we find out that the Bible actually does line up with what we're looking at. Let me give you an example. If you have two worldviews of how the world is, has gone. The first one, of course, is evolution, and it says that we went from an amoeba to a man. So that it was really stupid, really simple. It continued to get more functions. It continued to get body parts. It continued to get intelligence, all this kind of stuff, all the way up to the men that we see today. So it starts out stupid and gets smarter, right? And at the surface, when we look throughout history and we look at the technology that we see, we can kind of go... Yeah, it that's what happened is we gained more technology. We started to understand things more and more. And so that makes sense. Aha, but wait a second, because the other worldview is creation. You think about it. Adam would have been created perfectly. He would have had perfect genes. He would have had perfect intelligence, probably a perfect physique as well. Okay, pretty much nothing like me, but he would have been created perfectly and it's been downhill ever since. So very different worldview, right? But when we look at history, we find societies, we find places where we have no clue how they did some of the things they did. You go to, you go to places where they have carved entire palaces and cities into the sides of mountains. Uh, you look at the Egyptian, the great pyramids in Egypt, things that we have no clue how they did. You can go back and look at Egypt and they find pictures of technology that we had no idea that Egyptians had. Now, evolutionists, when they see that, they will say this, ah, it must have been aliens. And aliens came down and gave them this technology, and that's why they have these pictures. As a creationist, I would say, well, you know what? They were smarter than we are today. You see, we look at ourselves as being smarter, but it's because we are benefiting off the backs of the research done by people before us. In other words, there is a body of experimentation, a body of 
of study that has built year upon year. And so the people that came before us are giving us knowledge, they're giving us intelligence on how to get better and how to uh, invent things and do things better. The question is, the people that were there before us, were they more intelligent than us? I think they were. I think that when we look around and see things that we go, I have no idea how they could have done that. We have to admit they were doing more with less, but they were so intelligent. They understood their craft. They knew what to do so much better than us. They were actually doing more with less. They were very intelligent. And as we have come in, I'm not saying that we're stupid. Don't, (laughs) I hope nobody goes and says, Well, that Dave Napier guy, he said we're all too stupid to get anything done. That is not what I'm saying. There are amazingly smart people today still. But I think that we benefit off the back of those that have come before us, building that body of advancement. And so we have to look at that. When we look at the two worldviews and we see cultures and societies that have been able to build things and do things that we thought there's no way they should be able to do that. How were they smart enough to do this? It's when we look at the two worldviews, creation starts to make a lot of sense. So the Tower of Babel, when we talk about that technology gap, when we talk about the societal uh, gaps, we have to look at what it says. It says that God separated people out. He isolated them out. Now, if you... I'm trying to think how to put this... If you were actually separated out with your family, what skill sets would you have? You want to talk about technology gaps. If my family was isolated out from society, God took us, confused our language, and sent us off to the Hawaiian Islands. Uh, Let me tell you something. We don't have that many skill sets. You know those tribes that are still shooting spears and throwing, uh, shooting arrows and throwing spears? That's pretty much what my family would be because we don't have a lot of those skill sets. Uh, a lot of us are we're teachers and uh, you know general general uh, salespeople and workers and things like that. Now, of course, we have smart people in my family. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and there were some some of my family members. Uh, let's see, there's an accountant and stuff like that. But not a whole lot of just skilled laborers, people who knew how to build things, people who could melt metals and and uh, cast things, uh, build buildings, you know, all this kind of stuff. Gardeners who grew things, things like that. Now, my grandparents always had a garden, so we'd be okay. I tell you what, my if my grandfather was alive, my grandfather on my mother's side was alive, he would be uh, Team Day for sure, because I, I would make sure he was on my team. Because he could build anything. He was one of those guys that just had such practical knowledge of how to do things. They always grew a garden. He could build just about anything, fix things, all kinds of stuff. I've got a friend now named Steve who, if the apocalypse hits, guess the first person who I'm going to say who's on Team Dave. Or I'm going to be on Team Steve, we'll say. Uh, Because Steve is one of those guys where he'll send us pictures of his project. Like, hey, I built this today. And you're going, how did you know how to build this? And you ask him, and he can't tell you, well, I learned this in school. He goes, no. Well, you know that this does this and this does this over here. So you got to make sure that you do this. And you're going, okay, never mind. (laughs) I don't understand that. 
but I trust that you do, and you do an amazing job at it. So definitely in the apocalypse, I'm Team Steve. But again, this starts to help us to understand the Tower of Babel. We see this gap of technology. We see these isolated societies, and we say, well, how did they become so isolated? Why do we see some that became very technologically advanced, some that became uh, agricultural uh, societies, some that were hunter-gatherers, some that were uh, isolated off on an island? Again, if you're isolated off on an island, and you don't have the skill sets within the family, and you don't have the resources on that island, you're not going to become a very highly industrialized society. And so we have to look at the Tower of Babel because it is the key to understanding these societal gaps and these technological gaps. If you are someplace where you don't have the resources, it really doesn't matter if you have the skill set or not. If you don't have the resources, you can't do it. You can have all the resources in the world, but if you don't have the skill set, you still can't do anything about it. And especially when all of your languages have been uh, confused and you're sitting there trying to talk to people and you're worried about it. Because, uh, look, if you go to other countries, I remember going over to Germany. They were, Of course, they spoke, well, German. And so I left the hotel and Dave loves to just wander. I love doing that. I did it when I was in Scotland too. I ditched my host one morning and just went off walking around the city of Stirling. But in Germany, I went to a German restaurant thinking, well, surely the restaurant uh, will have somebody who speaks English, I'll order dinner, you know, that sort of thing. And I got there and I said, hey, I'm sorry, I, I only speak English, uh, thinking that she'll be like, oh, you're an American, hey, hey, No, she turned around, walked off without saying a word, came back and plopped down an English menu in front of me and just walked away. She was not exactly happy that I couldn't speak German. Uh, but you think about it. A after that, I was kind of like, oh, man. Then I started worrying, like, man, she doesn't like Americans, or maybe it's just something about me. You know, I'm not the best-looking guy in the world. Maybe she just doesn't like me. Uh, but you start to wonder what they're talking about at this point. You think about it. You don't stand in a room with a bunch of people speaking a different language for very long, and they're giggling and laughing that you think, Okay, they're talking about my mama right now, okay? That, something's about to happen because they are talking about my mama. And you have to wonder. You get nervous. You start to get suspicious. And that's part of why people would isolate out because they're suspicious. They, they don't understand each other's language. It takes time to learn trust and to start having people come in and learn your language so that you can communicate properly. So again, this is why we would see this isolation out of the, uh, of the different families and why we would see this gap in technology. So let's take a look at the final thing, and that is the traits or features or skin color or whatever you want to call it between the different people groups. Now, when we look at the different people groups, we have to look at what causes those different features. Because we can look at the skin color of people and go, wow, they must be radically different. They must be different biologically. But the truth is, we are all the same race. We are all the same color. Why do I say that? Because, well, because we are all the same color. Uh, the truth is, we are, all, we are all made up of melanin. We are all the same color. And it's brown. It's a different shade of brown. 
but you think about it. You put uh, if you think that you know that there are black people and white people in the world, you go take a black piece of paper and stick it up to a so-called called black person, and you'll find out they are not black. They are very dark brown. You take a white piece of paper and slap it up against somebody who is so-called white, you'll find out real fast that they are not white. The truth is, is that we are all part of the same color. We are a different shade of brown. That's what melanin is. And it is what gives us the color of our skin. Now, there is another gene that will actually help modify that. It can actually give your brown skin a, like a reddish tint or a yellow tint as well. But we are all the same color. As a matter of fact, it doesn't just happen with our skin color. It happens with our hair color as well. That's what makes up our hair color. That's what makes up our eye color. Now, you may stop me right there and say, wait a second, Dave, what about blue eyes? There's no brown in blue. And that's right. Here's the kicker. When you look out of the ocean or you see a picture of this beautiful ocean, what you see is this nice blue water. Now, is ocean water blue? No. When you see that nice blue color and you actually get to the beach, the water is perfectly clear. There is no color in it. But when the light reflects off of that clear water, it reflects blue. Same thing happens with your eyes. When you have no melanin, you have no color in your eyes, there's no color there. And so when the light reflects off of it, it reflects blue. Our eyes are all made of, are all colored with melanin. Our hair is all colored with melanin. Our skin is all colored with melanin. We are the same race. We are the same race, the human race. And the truth is, is that the diversity that we see in our people groups is all within our DNA. We have an amazing diversity within our DNA. God built that in. And so we have to be careful. You think about it as we've been isolated out, we've isolated out those specific traits. So in Africa, they have the trait for dark skin. They have a trait for a certain type of hair. At the same time, if you go to Scotland, they have a certain trait for a type of skin, for a type of hair. Uh, their, the melanin in their skin is almost non-existent. Now, we'll go into why that is at another time. We'll do another podcast. But basically, it's, uh, they thrive there with no melanin because the, it's always dark and, and overcast. And so their skin has to get that vitamin D. But we'll get into that later. The idea, though, is that when you isolate these groups out, you isolate out those traits. But watch this. If you want to go back to the way Adam and Eve would have been, you can start going back in and cross. Well, I don't want to say cross breeding because we're talking about humans. But let me say this. I could take somebody from Africa, a woman from Africa. I could bring her over to Scotland and marry her. Okay, I mean, not me. I mean, marry her somebody in Scotland and uh, then they could have a child. Okay, that child would then have both the genes for the light colored skin and the dark colored skin. Very likely they would have some kind of medium color skin, but they could because of the way genetics work. They could have a child that is still very dark skin or they could have a child that's very light skinned, even though they both they have both those genes. But then that one child could go back over to Africa and they could they could marry and have babies and start to reintroduce that light skin trait back into Africa. This happens all the time. As a matter of fact, 
I had pictures on the website for episode nine that I decided not to talk about this in episode nine. I decided to talk about it in episode 10. But there are pictures on the website in episode nine. I'll move them to episode 10. So look there uh, of couples, either mixed couples that have um, different colored babies or actual, there's one couple that they are both so-called black and they had twins. One twin was was so-called black. One twin was so-called white. Uh, How do you get that? It's all genetics. You have dominant, you have recessive and dormant genes uh, that give you a huge amount of variety. And so that's what explains the different traits that we see within the different people groups. It's simply the human genome and it has all the diversity that we need. You think about it. If Adam and Eve were created perfectly and they had all this diversity, just like that other couple that had the two, the two kids that looked mixed race, one that looked so-called black and one that looked so-called white, that's exactly what you would have seen from Adam and Eve with all that diversity. And then as they continue to have children and continue to have grandchildren and so forth and so on, you would see this huge amount of diversity. And that's exactly what the Tower of Babel would have done. It would have taken that diversity and isolated it out. Now, I know that I went long on that and I apologize if I lost you or your eyes glazed over. But that's exactly why the Tower of Babel explains humankind better than anything else. Now, this is something we're going to be talking about at the conference this year in October. October 12th, you can check it out on the website. Dr. Tim Clary is going to be coming down uh, to speak. Is it down? He's in Dallas. Yes, he's coming down uh, to Austin as my featured speaker at the conference. I'll be doing a talk on the Tower of Babel and a talk on the real global flood. He'll be going more in depth into the flood. He was a geologist and so he actually goes through and explains the rock layers to view the flood based off the off the actual different rock layers and the different, what do they call it, supersets? I can't remember what he calls them now. And then he'll talk about, he actually does a talk on the Ice Age as well. So you don't want to miss out on the conference coming up October 12th. Well, we're wrapping it up here on the 624. But before we go, I want to make sure I remind you of the apologetics conference I talked about last time. But it is happening this Saturday. Charlie Campbell from alwaysbeready.com is going to be speaking uh, at Calvary Austin Saturday night, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. He'll be talking about, uh, let's see here, the evidence for God, which, of course, is going to have some creation stuff in it. And then he's also talking about, oh, spit, I should have looked this up so I had it in front of me. Uh, Oh, answering questions about Jesus for atheists uh, or from atheists. And so these are going to be good talks. Charlie's been doing this for years and he has over 30 different DVDs that you can get no matter what kind of person or friend, family, agnostic, religious, Catholic, no matter who you're speaking to, he has a DVD that will help you to share your faith and to share the truth with other people. So be sure you check it out. You can go online to my church, calvaryaustin.com, You can go there and actually register for the conference right there online so you don't have to worry about it when you come in on Saturday. So I want to encourage you, check out Charlie Campbell's website, alwaysbeready.com, and check out calvaryaustin.com 
to register for the conference. Now, before I sign off, I want to ask a favor of you. I know that I've asked you to share this with your friends and family. I do want to ask you to share this podcast with everybody you know, because that's the only way this information is going to get out. But the other thing I want you to do is I want you to review it. No matter what platform you're on, would you go review this podcast? Because that's how we get numbers. That's how we get uh, noticed by other people like Apple Podcasts. It goes by the people that are reviewing it and the people that are subscribed to it. So I'd like to ask you to review the podcast, even if you don't like it. Go ahead and comment. Go ahead and review it. Let me know how you'd like to see it changed or what you'd like to see instead. And we'd love to hear from you either way. But until then, I pray that God blesses you with knowledge to know him and courage to share him. Thank you for listening to The 624 the weekly podcast of Central Texas Creation Ministries. Join us again next time as we look at creation and the Bible to understand the world around us. To learn more, visit our website at www.centraltexascreation.com.